You're listening to Women Making Waves. So we'll be hearing from Dr. Rebecca Lent, who's been talking to our contributor Jan Moore for Women Making Waves, and she's been heading up the International Whaling Commission. That is a very, very big job, is it not? It is indeed. And of course, we read lots in the press about whales and how we should be looking after them and how they're being fished too much and also being caught in nets. You know, they're not necessarily meaning to catch whales, but a lot of them die because they are caught in fishing nets. That's very true. And this uh, institute, the International Whaling Commission, sets out to try their best to maintain fair fishing of whales in order to prevent overfishing and and, uh, and the depletion of stocks. I also think, and we're going to be hearing about this in the interview too, how she is quite surprised how many women are actually in this industry. Basically, I'm trying to make sure everything is running smoothly. It, it is a huge job. The first day I walked in here about a year ago, I started meeting all the people. I was like, another woman, another woman, another woman, another woman. <laughs> It's a creative and very family-friendly place. We saw some humpback whales in the distance, some belugas, some seals. But the biggest threat to whales today and to cetaceans in general is not direct take. It's bycatch in fishing gear. It's an interesting history indeed. The Whaling Commission is one of the world's oldest conservation organizations. We're just about in a couple of years to have our 75th anniversary. It happens to be here because it was associated with the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries, I believe, and the math. And it was in London at the start. And then when the IWC secretary grew a little too large, they said, why don't you move to the Red House in Histon, Impington? because they had a map office here, so that's how we ended up here. Oh, I see, because a lot of us drive past and know it's here, but that's really interesting. So what is the role, what actually goes on here in this red building? This is a secretariat of an 89-country member uh, organization, and we're basically implementing the will of the parties. We don't make any decisions. All those policy decisions are taken by the members. But we make sure that meetings are being held for the scientific committee, for the commission, and that all of the communications are running smoothly. We also have an in-house publications team, an in-house science team, and of course, uh, we're just in charge of letting people know what's going on in the Commission. Right, but it's quite an interesting time in the Commission, isn't it? Because those of us that watch the news will know that it's not all holding, it's a bit like Brexit, <laughs> it's not all holding together. Well, it's a, it's a challenge to have an organisation where you have such a wide range of views And hopefully the commission has been able to continue, and I've been to commission meetings, continue to uh, allow that debate, a healthy debate, with mutual respect and understanding. And despite that, uh, those efforts, there are countries that have left, some have left and come back. The, The most recent announcement was that Japan had decided to leave the commission. That will be effective the 1st of July, because when you, you give notice on or before the 1st of January, and then you leave the 1st of July. Mm. So what's your job? What do you do? So basically, I'm trying to make sure everything is running smoothly. It, it is a huge job to keep track of 89 countries, their contributions, keep track of our budget, make sure we're staying within budget. We have an architect with us downstairs, because the back of the Red House is basically falling to pieces, and we have to rebuild them come up with a budget and come up with some money. We plan our work. The commission gives us work plans. We want you to hold this workshop on this topic. We want you to find some 
as a panel of experts, etc. So that's the type of thing that, that we do. So what's your background? How did you end up here? Well, interestingly, I'm trained as an economist, mm -hmm. and, but since my master's and PhD program, I have been working in the area of marine economics. So looking at the economic side of things that happen in the ocean. I started with the swordfish fishery, I moved into the tuna fishery, I worked a lot on international tuna management, one country can't manage it, they're swimming all over the place, they're highly migratory species. So from international tuna management, then I went into marine mammal management, stewardship and science, at the U.S. Marine Mammal Commission, and then about a year ago, I started here at the International Whaling Commission. So I'm taking all my experience working internationally with tunas and shifting that to whales. Tunas can be controversial, too. <laughs> uh, you may hear about these bluefin tuna that just sell for exorbitant prices in, yes. in Tokyo. And the bluefin tuna stocks are, are struggling generally, so it's kind of the same challenge. How yes. do you make sure um, you keep healthy stocks? In the case of the tuna industry, there's still some harvest. Right now in the IWC, we have for some 30-plus years had a moratorium on commercial whaling. Mm. I think that's, that's the thing that we're, we're probably aware of. So... Are you the first woman in this particular post as executive I'm secretary? I'm not the first oh, woman, um, and this is the amazing thing about the commission. There was a woman named uh, Nikki Grandy who was the executive secretary here from 2000 to 2011. And so uh, she blazed the inroads mm -hmm. to, to have a woman here. And I think it, it's really incredible. The, the first day I, w I walked in here about a year ago, I started meeting all the people. It's like another woman, another woman, another woman, another woman. <laughs> the chair of the scientific committee was here, and she's a woman. And so uh, it's very impressive how this Red House has so many women, which brings with it all the great things of having women in the, the workplace. We have a lot of um, women who are working part-time because mm -hmm. they might have children who are of that age and they do job sharing. So it's a, it's a creative and very family-friendly place. Mm. Well, I was thinking that as, as we arrived and you showed me around the offices down below and I'm thinking, spot the man in this, this place. But there was a man putting stuff in, a, in the skip at yes. the back. <laughs> We're doing a little bit of uh, clean-up in the warehouse in preparation for hopefully uh, getting the funding so we can rebuild the back of the building. Mm. So does your job involve a lot of travel? I mean, are you having meetings wherever with all of the, the various countries that are actually involved? Definitely. So all 89 members are welcome to host a science meeting, which is held right. once a year, or to host the commission meeting, which is held every other year. So last year, the science meeting was held in Slovenia, and the commission meeting was held in Brazil. I also went to the Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome for uh, a visit. Last fall I went to Kenya to do a site visit because we're having our science meetings this year in Nairobi. I went to Egypt for the um, Convention on Biological Diversity representing the IWC, went to New York City for the UN. So yes, a lot Goodness of travel. Me. Yeah. It's a very naive question that I'm going to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. How much involvement do you actually get with looking at whales and seeing whales? <laughs> and you're going to tell me perhaps not much. Uh, it's pretty hard to see them from the Red House. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, we're not close here in yeah, history, Yeah, we're not we? close. Um, we have the brook and the river. There's lots of ducks, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, there is that beluga in the Thames. But I, I have to make a personal effort to do so. When we were in Brazil, a number of people saw right whales right off the coast from the, standing on the beach. Um, I have a lot of family in Southern California. I try to get out there regularly and see the gray whales. So uh, I have to make a personal effort to make mm. that happen. I think it's important. You need to know what's happening. One of the other uh, trips I will, I'll tell you about last year was to a village in the Arctic 
in the north, in Alaska, just above the Arctic Circle. And in this village, there are um, Aboriginal subsistence hunters who depend on marine mammals for their nutrition. And we went out on the ice flows with them, and we went out in, in the snowmobiles. We saw some humpback whales in the distance, some belugas, some seals. So we got to see that shortly after we left. They harvested one of those humpback whales. Mm. So that was such an, a learning experience to hear from the elders and to see how important marine mammals are to their culture, to their very survival. They have a market there, but it would be like 10 pounds for a half a kilo of hamburger. So it's really difficult if you don't have access to those resources. Mm, absolutely. And that puts, as you say, it all into perspective, doesn't it? With, and I think sometimes, as you've implied, that when you are dealing with meetings and discussions about the economics of it, it's useful to go back and remember about and see the, the creature in the sea that all of the countries are concerned with. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Gives you a sense of what you're taking care of and the communities also that we deal with. The Aboriginal whaling is, is the, the quota levels are determined by the scientists to be safe. They are approved by the commission, safe in terms of the survival of the species. Mm. And also it's just such an important part of our job is making sure that this practice that has been going on for centuries is not hampered by the fact that we had overwhelmed, overcut these creatures for so long that now we had to stop and let the stocks rebuild. So what are the challenges at the moment for, for the Whaling Commission? Well, our, one of our big challenges is just the controversy, dealing with how do, how do you make sure everybody feels their voice is heard. What do we, and at meetings, just making sure wherever we can, we're translating. We've got simultaneous translation. We also have people helping with conversations in the hallway with translators so that everybody feels they're a part of it. We also have budget concerns. We tried to get um, an increase in our budget just because it's all contributions from countries, right? We just tried to get that increased by inflation, and we didn't succeed. So we had to cut our science budget by 28%. It was a real blow. So that, that's a challenge dealing with that. The other challenge is this whole organization was set up 70-plus years ago when it was post-World War II, People were really hungry. There were no animal fats. I mean, it was really difficult. So the idea was that we needed to increase whaling. And it was just the catches were going down. All these fleets were losing money. Um, substitutes were being developed. So there was kind of an economic crisis. So we backed off of the commercial whaling. And um, some of the stocks are rebuilding. But the biggest threat to whales today and to cetaceans in general is not direct take. It's bycatch in fishing gear. Really? Yes, that kills 300,000 cetaceans Gosh. every year. So that's a big threat. That's a big problem to deal with. We also have underwater noise, which is kind of a silent killer in the sense that it disorients the whales. It's from shipping or construction, whatever. So the problem is our mandate is managing the take of whales when the greatest source of mortality is this accidental catch yes. in the gear. Yes. So we're, we're dealing with that as much as we can, but yes. we don't have the authority. No, but an ability to raise awareness at least. Yes, raise awareness and then go to, like I went to the Food and Agriculture Organization to talk to the fisheries people about bycatch. We have a committee of experts that's assessing you know, how you can deal with bycatch, what are some of the technical solutions you can use. So we, we have scientific input, but we're not part of it. We go to the international maritime organizations to talk about underwater noise and how, how a quieter ship could mean healthier whale populations. Mm. 
It's a piece of work that's just going to continue and continue, isn't it? A lifelong piece of work for, for well, maybe for you, but also for mm-hmm. the people that work in this red building. We sure hope so. And one of the interesting things I learned about the, the staff here, because I, people saying, you know, I've worked here since, since, since I sat down, and I added up all the years that the people who are here now have worked here. And it comes to 250 years. Goodness me. That's such institutional knowledge. It's such yes. a treasure that we have in those yes. people who have worked here a long time. Gosh. Well, thank you very much. That's been absolutely fascinating thank while you. we've passed here. And now, you know, have more idea of what <laughs> yes. incredible work goes on here. Thank you. Thank I you. appreciate that. Dr. Rebecca Lent from the International Whaling Commission speaking to Jan Moore.